So hello and welcome to the School for CEOs podcast. Here we're looking to share interesting stories from interesting leaders. So I'm delighted to have Craig Donaldson with me today, CEO of Metrobank. Welcome, Craig. Hello, Gemma. So we have a few questions for you today, Craig. I'm really interested to, um, I suppose, ask you where your story begins. So I'm going to go way back, if I may, because I actually grew up in a pub. So I didn't live in a house until I left home. And I therefore grew up in a business where, you know, uh, from gosh, being about six, seven years old, I'd do the bottling up, basically working in the cellar, getting the bottles and putting them on the shelves. I'd work in the kitchens. Um, and I grew up around, I guess, um, my mum and dad running their business and living in their business. But it was kind of what I knew. They employed people, they served customers. Uh, they had the ups and downs of everything going on and therefore I, that helped me to engage with people I was used to having lots of people around you know, I never had a front door key because I'd walk through the pub um, and, and that helped I think make me enjoy people and like people and also made me comfortable in seeing leadership roles with my mum and dad because to me they always had people who would be serving behind the bar or working in the kitchens who worked for them and therefore I always was engaged with leadership and people working around cash and customers. So that was really, from the very start, I kind of just thought that was natural, because uh, it was to me. We then had the miners' strike, and the miners' strike um, changed my view of a lot of things. I grew up in a little pit village, my parents had the pub in the said pit village, and the miners' strike was a tough old time. Uh, my mum and dad personally lost the pub, because miners couldn't afford a drink um, and there was no support for the support services so the miners would get support with the food and the clothes but the people who would be living on the offering services to the miners got nothing and um, we ended up moving out of my parents pub and moving in those four of us I have a little sister <laughs> 46 little <laughs> um, the four of us moved in the back room of my uncle Joe and Annie Madeline's house and my cousin Gary moved in with my cousin Carol so they could feel the room for us. And that taught me to always make sure you got backups because that was a tough time. My, my dad went through a really hard time. My mum went through a hard time. We, they cosseted my sister and I. We didn't appreciate really. You know, they tried to make it f- as fun as they could for us. But by God, growing up through the minor strike and seeing my mum and dad pretty much lose everything. And, you know, that made me want to pay my mortgage off. It's made me want to work hard because I'd never want to be in a position where I've got to move the family because I have a son and daughter into one room. Because uh, when you go through that scenario, you learn. Also, you know, I used to look my rugby, my football, my cricket, typical northern boy. Um, seeing friends who would fight each other, you know, because you had the people whose fathers were scabs, so they'd gone back to work, the people whose fathers weren't, and they refused to work, play together on the pitch, and they'd fight each other. So you literally couldn't pick kids whose fathers were scabs or not scabs in the same team. Uh, and, and I used to captain one of the teams and trying to get people to work together who were fundamentally friends, but because of the external environment were fighting each other. Kind of taught me a lot about early leadership, about trying to accept sometimes you just can't change people's views. You can't get them to focus on certain things and that you just need to separate them or unfortunately change people out um, and then the final thing the big thing I guess as well was I failed my A-levels I did pretty well at GCSE I was the first year of GCSE and 
I, I, I pretty much flew through. Um, and I went to the local comp, uh, the Pit Village comp. And then I got a scholarship to a big posh school. Thought I was the, 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 the bee's knees had arrived, you know. And I absolutely royally screwed up and went from getting all A's at my old my GCSEs to failing my A-levels. I went from being Oxbridge to being, well, I got a job for 120 quid a week, loaded furniture on the back of noise, um, resat my A-levels. But by God, I was the only one. All my mates went off to university, and I used to have to get up at 5.30 in the morning and go and work for this company who basically made sofas uh, for grabbins and counters and companies like that. And I spent six months working for them while I resat my A-levels. And that taught me to work hard. So I guess I've always been around people. I've always been social. I grew up in a working environment, which taught me a lot around about watching leadership, about engaging with customers, listening to customers. I looked at leadership through the miners' strike about sometimes you've just got to cut your losses and make hard decisions. And, and I also learned about the value of hard work. Because when I went to the big posh school, I probably didn't work as hard as I should have because I thought I'd arrived. And by God, I hadn't. And, and there were three really salient lessons for me on my background that I think have come through my, my life. And what happened after you retook your A-levels? I passed, I did all right. Um, and I went off to university. I studied technology and management at Bradford University, or the University of Bradford. Um, got a first-class honours degree. Um, but I had to learn to work hard. You know, it was kind of... I can't tell you how... You know, everybody has knocks and failures and... But after going from sort of flying through my GCSEs, my O-levels, absolutely nailed it, to absolutely messing up my A-levels and seeing everybody else go off, it was soul-destroying. You know, uh, my parents thought I'd blown the best chance I'd ever have in my life. Um, and, you know, it just taught me to work. It, it taught me to sometimes, you know, the right attitude uh, across how you interact with people, good interpersonal skills, with a good work ethic really important and you can choose to do that you can choose to work hard you can choose to interact with people in different ways uh, you know your intellect is your intellect um, but work ethic and interpersonal skills are so important and I definitely let myself down in my A levels on my work ethic and uh, I think I recovered it <laughs> post that yeah. but it was a really good lesson it's interesting when I went to university how many people I saw who'd sort of flown through their GCSEs, flown through their A-levels, and then at uh, degree level, blew up. Mm. And, and actually, I guess, dealing with failure, resilience, is absolutely cool. You know, um, the, I can't remember who wrote it, but, you know, several very, very uh, well-known um, serial entrepreneurs say resilience is the key. The ability to keep picking yourself up and keep going is key. And I guess that's what it taught me as well. You know, I... I wanted to prove that I was better than I'd delivered and I wanted to prove I could do it um, but by God it hurt Speaking of resilience yeah. um, you got to a very senior uh, management role at Barclays mm -hmm. before kind of turning around and saying actually I want to join Metro Bank which was a completely blank sheet at the time one of only four people involved or the first four people involved in the bank what was it that pushed you to make take that risk and make that decision to, to step away from what you knew I was really miserable where I was and um, this was during the, the credit crunch when the banks were you know, in a bad place and 
I've been fortunate enough to study the commerce model, commerce bank model, at a Harvard case study. And here was a bank that was loved by its customers, its shareholders, and its colleagues, where most banks were struggling to achieve one. And I just thought, God, I want the, I'd love a chance to do that. And then when I was approached about Metro Bank by Vernon, who's the chairman, um, it was Vernon who'd set up Commerce Bank. And the chance to build something you could be proud of and do something in what I believe is the right way was just too good an opportunity to turn down. And I was scared. Uh, my son was 11 months old. Um, we had the big mortgage. Um, and it was a pretty big risk. You know, my career was going well. But it was funny, it was my wife, who, who and, and I was on a phone call with my wife and my dad. Uh, so I had my dad, like, on the speakerphone on the, uh, the, the, the Blackberry, as was at those times. And my dad said to me, my wife was saying, do it, just do it. You know, you're miserable where you are. You're behaving like a zombie. You need to do something you'll be proud of. And my dad said, do you want to be the fifth Beatle? You know, here's a chance to do something. Do you want to be the fifth Beatle? And... The support and challenge of both my wife and my father actually got me over the line of giving them a, a safe job and, and setting out to do something that was, you know, what we are today. Wow. And what, what is it, do you think, that makes Metro Bank unique? Um, I think there's three things that go on with Metro Bank. We're very clear that we want to create funds. We call it create funds. So, of course, you've got to win customers, but what we want to do is create fans. And when you create fans, fans tell their friends, their family, and their colleagues that they should bank with you. So, last year, we spent less than £65,000 on advertising, but we grew our customer base by 400000 So, for me, it's, all, it's been very clear. What we are about is creating fans. How do we create fans? How do we create fans? And therefore, we've developed a business model that's focused on creating fans. And we've also created a culture that's focused on creating fans. And if you can get the business model and the culture aligned and then work very hard, back to that, you know, we call it fanatical execution, that's how you deliver it. But it's the clarity of what you want to achieve and for us it's about creating fans. We know if we create fans that we are doing the right things and that long term our fans will stay with us longer, do more with us, and introduce their friends, families, and colleagues to us. And that's what we focus our culture and our business model on. So it's, it's really no more complex than that. But it's the clarity of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in terms of leadership, how do you think that your fans would describe your leadership style? I wouldn't call them fans, but... Oh, your colleagues. You know, I, it's interesting. So... I think my colleagues would describe my leadership as, and it's a buzzword now, and I wish I could come up with a better way, but I'm pretty authentic. I am what I am. I'm a northern boy. Um, I'm a big Sunderland football supporter for my sins. Um, I, you know, um, gosh, I've been going since I was four. Still go with my dad and take my son and daughter. Um, I love my rugby. Um, I love my cricket. I enjoy what I do. I have a young family that I love. And, and I, I do think being a dad is the first thing. You know, dad, husband, and work. It's not work, dad, husband. Um, and I think people know that about me. And I think, therefore, that being authentic is very important. I think from my direct reports, they know I listen to them. I think it's very important that people who work with you um, know that their voice is heard. 
I might not always agree with them. You know, my job is to make decisions and to seek information and then make decisions. And sometimes I'll definitely disagree with my team. But I think it's important that the team know that their views were taken on board before the decision was made. Because I think if you can explain to people why you don't go with what they've said, that's really important. Because people need to be treated with respect at all times. And to me, one of the things as a leader, to give respect is to make sure that the people you lead know they're being heard. And, and that's very, very important. Uh, and I think they'd also say that uh, I get my hands dirty, you know, uh, and that I care. So a lot in there, but I think all of that rolls up into just being, you know, I guess it is that authentic thing. And it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, you get your hands dirty, you get involved yeah. in things, but also your priorities are dad, husband, work. Yeah. So how do you maintain that balance and keep that perspective when you want to be so involved and get your hands dirty? Probably very badly. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm very fortunate. You know, I've got a... You know, it's a feedback is a gift. And my wife and children are very good at giving me that gift, uh, as is work. Very good at giving me that gift. Um, but I, I, I'm very fortunate. I live half an hour from the office. Okay. And therefore, I can get up and see my kids every day. And I think as you get a little bit older, you appreciate some of that as well. You know, so I might get home very late, um, you know, but I can see my kids, you know, the kids are up at sort of 6 a.m. and I can see them because I don't have to commute as much. It takes me half an hour, to, you know, so I can normally be at my desk by half seven quarter to eight on a morning, but having spent some time with the kids. Um, you know, now that we are where we are, you know, I can, on a Saturday morning, I can go off and do sport with the kids and, and you know, and, and I love nothing better than watching my son and daughter play rugby. Um, and, and, you know, it's great to see them getting involved in stuff and I, I, I think I probably enjoy it more than them on the Saturday really? morning. <laughs> um, so I think, but I think that's, you know, I do work hard, uh, but I have agreements with my wife and my children about how that works. And there are some things that you just don't miss. So my son was doing a solo at the school concert uh, before Christmas there was no way I was going to miss that but then I think if you explain to people why you need to leave early to go and do something nobody wants to stop you doing that either everybody appreciates that uh, and I think it's important that the people who I work with see me as the CEO as the leader leave to go my son's going to be solo at the Carol concert tonight I have to be there it's really important to him it's more important to me and I think that that's important as well um but then, you know, I went to the Carol concert and then I came back to work. And I worked late because the job did, needs a certain amount of time. But my wife is very supportive. My children are very supportive. I live close, so I've made conscious compromises. And it is about that compromise and that consciousness around it to find the right work-life balance for you and your family and for work. You've mentioned um, particularly the support that you have from people who are important to you. Um, your wife, your kids, um, your father mm. giving you the advice to yeah. take the leap of faith with Metro. Um, who are your other trusted advisors who you go to for support, advice? It's interesting, it changes over time. You know, I have a very good working relationship with my chairman. Um, Vernon built his first bank up in 1973 to 2007, built the bank from nine of them to 15,000 people. So he's been round corners I've not even seen yet. Uh, and, you know, so I do seek his guidance and input. Um, Friends, trusted friends who have different behaviours or different experiences that I might pick up the phone to and 
seek input or, or even just say, do you fancy a pint and not talk about work? Because <laughs> sometimes you just want a bit of downtime with people who you can genuinely, you know when you're with really good mates. It's very different, uh, you know, environment. So to me, um, it depends on what I'm trying to achieve. It depends on the issue. Um, but, you know, um, I'm very fortunate that I have a support network of people who, one, I trust, and two, I respect. Uh, and, and I'm not afraid to ask for help because uh, the only thing you know in life is you don't have all the answers. You say you're not afraid to ask for help. Do you think that other leaders are? Um, I hope not. Um, I mean, I've certainly seen some people in, in previous lives that, that thought they had to have all the answers. And I think those days have gone. You know, as a leader, I think that our jobs are to engage our teams and create a direction of travel, a vision that we can travel towards. And then how we get there, you need the whole team to have the input. And, and everybody can bring something. And therefore, if you think you've got all the answers, fundamentally, you're just going to be wrong. So it's about how can you create that vision and that direction, but then engage the team in having the right answers about how we get there. And I guess that's how I work. You know, I do think that creating a, a, a joined-up, agreed vision is very, very important. But then how you do that, you've got to bring your leadership team and the wider team with you and let them, well, create the path. You, you mentioned earlier on um, the kind of the failing your A-levels being like a, a catalyst, really. Yeah. Pick up the bum, you go out and um, refocus and yeah. work hard. Um, and you talked about that in the context of resilience mm-hmm. and how important that has been, particularly going through the financial crisis, um, joining a blank sheet, as Metro Bank was. How, how would you encourage others to develop their resilience without having to go through the experience of losing something or of failing? It's one, one I would say um, there's certain books you should read. You know, there's a great book called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. And, you know, in that book, and I can't remember the author's name, which is appalling, Horowitz, I think. Um, the gentleman talks about how he built an unbelievably good company, but actually his first company failed. And understanding the hard thing about hard things is really important. When you're running a business, it is hard. You shouldn't be ashamed to find it hard. And you shouldn't beat yourself up. You should be kind to yourself. You should appreciate that we're trying to do hard things. And the hard thing about hard things is they're hard. So don't beat yourself up about it. Just get on with it. And so I guess appreciating that, you know, you have to work through things. You've got to keep going. You've got to be very clear about keep that, you know, keep moving forward. Nothing's achieved easily, you know. Um, nothing's achieved, well, or if it is, good luck to them. I'm very jealous. <laughs> but you have to work hard, and you, you know there'll be knocks along the way. Some things will work, some things won't. Some things, you know, we, we sit here today in 2019 um, wondering about what might happen in the wider macroeconomic environment. Things happen. What we have to do is keep on going and keep people focused on the direction of travel. And when you take hard knocks, pick yourself up, dust yourself down, learn from it, reflect and learn from it, and move on. So I would say share, talk, read, learn. And you talked about some, you know, how, how does horizon scanning play play into that and thinking about potential barriers? I, mean, I, I don't know if they're particular um, 
to me that's just part of business you've got to do that you know um, but it, it's you know uh, you plan what's it um, plan for the worst and hope for the best mm-hmm. I just think that you have to do that mm-hmm. and what's on the horizon for Metro for us it's about continuing to create fans being very focused on creating fans uh, being very focused on continuing to win customers surprise and delight them to create the fans and then continue to win more customers and grow you know that's what we want to do you know uh, we're profitable we've created 4,000 jobs now we employ 4,000 colleagues from from, from four people uh, in the last 10 years um, and we are literally less than 1% of market so the opportunity is huge it's about making sure that you do the right things for the long term and not forgetting that it's all about the customer and it's all about creating funds In terms of you as a leader, what is it that in, most inspires you? What is, I guess people inspire me, you know? I, I love going out and seeing people do amazing things. So this morning I had breakfast with a, a partner from one of the big four accounting firms, and uh, he was kind enough to share an email with me that he'd received literally yesterday from a friend who lives in Cambridge, who um, had opened, her son had opened a bank account with us, and how now the whole family had moved because they were so blown away by the service they'd received. And that this young 14-year-old uh, gentleman had told his gran, who was 82, that she should bank with Metrobank as well. I love that. You know, that inspires me. Because that shows my colleagues in Cambridge have done an amazing thing. So I must admit, I asked them to send me an email and I wrote to the guys in Cambridge to thank them. And, and so that inspires me. That motivates me. When you see people doing it and you get the feedback... You know you're doing the right thing. I also get massive motivation when you see people do things where you've been developing them and coaching them, and you see people develop themselves, and that's very, very rewarding. And if you were to give advice to the next generation of CEOs, be that of Metro Bank or another business, what advice would that be? I think you've got to be yourself. Don't try and be anybody else. Um, if you try and be something you're not, you create stress internally, and the last thing you want to do is create stress that, that shouldn't be there. So make sure you're the best you you can be, but make sure it is you. And I, I really genuinely, I think that's the best advice. Don't try and become something that you're not. Don't become a leader that you think you should be rather than the leader you are. You should you should embrace the being yourself. Thank you. Is that all right? Craig, that's been really interesting. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Gemma.